Glad that we could be together this morning. Glad that we could honor our Father this morning and praise Him and, and to thank Him for the great things that He has done. My voice is not the best this morning. I am fighting a cold, and I, but uh, I, I pray that you'll forego that and we'll, uh, we'll look at the message this morning regarding uh, God's Word and what we're going to talk about. Specifically, we're focusing here in Acts chapter 24 and verse number 25, where it says here, this is in the middle of Paul's life. He's on trial. It says, after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. And that's what we're going to talk about, about Paul's reasoning about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, and then talk about Felix's reaction regarding that, that message that Paul gave so long ago to this man or to this uh, husband and wife, really, is just as applicable today as it was back then. We're going to take a deep dive into these three things this morning. Before we do, though, what a wonderful privilege we have that God has allowed us to talk to him in prayer. And we're going to take advantage of that at this time. Every once in a while, you hear kind of the younger generation use the term YOLO. It's an acronym referring to you only live once. And, uh, it's, and uh, it's kind of the modern day version of carpe diem, which we know that means seizing the day. So usually when these are said it's, um, it's, or used, it's, it's usually in reference to living life to the fullest, and sometimes it carries unwise risks that might just lead a person into trouble. Now, not all the time when it's used, in it, that it's used in a negative sense, or not all the time does it ever lead to bad consequences, but me uh, personally, from my observation, it tends to mostly carry the idea of doing what you want and doing what you desire, no matter what other people might tell you. And if we're not careful, this kind of attitude can lead us to do what our own will is, and it just might differ from the will and the commandments that are expressed within the scriptures from the Lord. This seems to be the case with a husband and wife who had, been, who had uh, become acquainted with the Apostle Paul here in our context in Acts chapter 24. And they seem to have enjoyed being with Paul. They seem to have enjoyed listening to Paul tell them about the faith in Jesus Christ. But one day, when Paul was before them, it got a little too real for them. Because Paul addressed something that directly convicted this husband and wife whom he stood before. 
Here in the setting of Acts chapter 24, Paul is currently on trial. He's in Caesarea, and the reason why he's there is because of the accusations that were brought before him, what happened back in Jerusalem. How all this trouble that Paul got in, how it all started, was Paul brought a Gentile into the temple. And that just created all kinds of trouble surrounding Paul. I mean, there was a big mob. They tried to kill him. Roman soldiers rescued him from being nearly beaten and stoned to death. And he was placed under arrest. There was a plot to kill Paul while he was still under arrest. And so they snuck Paul out. They created an army to protect one man and take him up to Caesarea to get him out of the trouble of the, the mob, the about 40 men who had taken a vow, we're not going to eat or drink anything till they saw Paul dead. And so those, uh, the, the authorities said, well, we got to get this guy out of here. We got to protect him. So that's how he ends up in Caesarea. And while he's here in Caesarea, he's brought before Felix to continue his trial. And Felix, he's a Roman governor in that part of the world. He had, historically speaking, had a quite a shady past. And he wasn't well respected among the people. In fact, he was said to have been, to have been cruel to the people, even to the point of being cruel to causing some of those people to die. Well, Felix enticed his third wife, Drusilla, to leave her husband and to marry him. And she was the daughter of Herod Agrippa. And Herod Agrippa, we know in scriptures to be the same Herod who had persecuted the church in Acts 12. He had killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And I, I am unsure of Drusilla's character, but it would not be fair to judge her based upon her father's reputation. And so you've got Felix and you've got Drusilla, a husband and a wife, and they call for Paul. And Paul talked to them about the faith in Jesus Christ, as we already read this morning. And I'm sure Paul talked to them about various things, and I'm just, this is just me brainstorming based upon what Paul had taught in the various places that he had gone through, uh, you know, strengthening the churches, coming into encounters with various people, establishing churches throughout the places that he went. I'm sure he taught them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. After all, when you read the many sermons of what and what the disciples talked about throughout the book of Acts, the early part of the church, they always mention the significance of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That was the foundation of their teaching. Perhaps Paul, as we continue to brainstorm of what he might have taught them concerning the faith in Jesus to Felix and Drusilla, maybe he talked about the prophecies of old concerning the Messiah and explained how those prophecies were fulfilled through Jesus, who is the Christ. I believe Paul knew of Felix's reputation and he was aware of their marriage and so, 
Because of that, it prompted him to speak about three things in particular, which is a part of the faith in Jesus Christ. And so, in verse number 25, Luke tells us that Paul reasoned with Felix and Drusilla, Drusilla about three things. Righteousness, self-control, and then the coming judgment. And I want to discuss those three things with you in our study. Because like I said already, it has the same importance today as it did to this husband and wife whom Paul was talking to. So let's begin with righteousness. What do you think about when we talk about righteousness? What do you think Paul was talking to them about? Well, righteousness, it refers to the quality or condition of simply being right. Especially being right in the eyes of God. And specifically, it refers to the state of being in accord or the state of being in harmony with the laws of God. And so because of that, it's quite the opposite now of wickedness. It's quite the opposite of sinfulness when we speak of righteousness. Before we talk about our, us being righteous and how we go about doing that, I want to focus just for a moment on God and God being righteous. And this is part of his character. In fact, David declares this in one of his psalms, in Psalm 116, verse 5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. And so that is an established fact. God is righteous. And so because he is righteous, it means that it has an impact on us because we can be righteous too because of him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he, referring to God, is righteous. And so that's an established fact. Well, how do we become righteous then? What can I do? What can you do? To become righteous, just as God is righteous. How do we become right before God? Well, part of that answer is found right here. You practice righteousness in order to be righteous. But let, let's unfold that a little bit more. And let's take that now to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, it says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul mentions something here about the gospel of Christ. And when Paul mentioned the gospel of Christ, he said something is revealed in that. What's revealed in the gospel of Christ? The answer is right there. What do you think it is? It's the righteousness of God is revealed through it. That's what he says. Now, does this mean that when we read about Jesus and have faith in the gospel that we learn that God's righteous? Well, 
If you ask me, not necessarily, because what we learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the righteousness of God is revealed is that we can become righteous through that gospel. You see, we, we can be seen as being right before God. And when we do that through our act of faith, because the just shall live by faith, as Paul says here. And that is how we become righteous. We have to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have to act upon that gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when we do that through our belief, through our faith and the acting upon our, uh, upon our faith, it is then we are justified and we are seen as being right before God. Now, let's carry that idea over to Romans chapter 10. And I want to read the first four verses here in Romans chapter 10, where it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, what was the end result when they tried to do that? Verse number three. What happened? He said they have not submitted to the righteousness of God because they did that. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so Paul says they were ignorant of God's righteousness. And that doesn't mean that they simply didn't know or understand that God was righteous. But God, Paul, what Paul is saying is that these people did not know about the gospel and how it could save them and how they could be justified and right before God through it. Instead, they tried their own ways. They tried to use their own logic and by their own practices of what they thought they could do in order to be justified before God. And as a result, they fell short. They did not submit to the righteousness of God because they tried to do it their way. And so the answer was through Jesus, as it says here in verse number four. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. There's our answer for being right before God. He is the end and he is the way of the law of righteousness to any and everyone who believes him and follows him. Now, I want to carry this now a step a little further. Let's take the scenario that, that you've got a person who steals money from a purse when the owner of the purse wasn't looking. Now, when you look at that person who stole that, would you say that that person was righteous or unrighteous because of what he or she had done? Well, that's a no-brainer, Right? that we would all agree that they were unrighteous because of their action. Well, you take another person who prays often, who looks to God's word for guidance on a regular basis and tries their best to do the will of the Lord and submits their life to the will of the Lord. I believe we would agree that that person would be righteous because of their actions. And from these two examples, we can agree that a person's condition is a result of their actions. And let's take a few verses, let's look at a few verses of what the scripture says about this principle, about a person's condition being a result of their actions. Circle back around now to what we had already read in 1 John 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. 
he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. John says when you practice righteousness, when you're active in doing that, the result is that you will be deemed as righteous before God. Look all the way back to Noah. And Noah, what he did in Genesis 6, the Bible tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8. The Lord gave Noah instructions on what to do in order to survive the flood and to save himself and his family. And after you read those instructions by the Lord and you see Noah's response uh, to those instructions here at the end of chapter 6, it says here, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Now going to chapter 7 and verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So Noah did what was right. Noah did what God commanded him to do. And God saw that. And as a result, Noah was seen as being righteous before the Lord. His condition was a result of his actions, wasn't it? Now, look here with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 24 and 25. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these, thing, uh, all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might pre preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us, if we are careful to do what? If we're careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. So, this passage, if you ask me, is very clear on how we are righteous. The Lord gives us his will. The Lord reveals that in the scriptures and the commandments that we read and the people will we respect and fear the Lord and observe and obey his commands. And as a result of our own actions, condition of us will be righteous before the Lord. So having an understanding of the nature of God's righteousness and how we can be right before him, I want to move on now to the next thing that Paul addresses before Felix and Drusilla, and that is self-control. Self-control is about managing your actions. It's about managing your emotions as well. And Paul is directly talking to a married couple who did not exercise self-control. In fact, she left her husband to be with another man, Felix. And he encouraged it because he thought he couldn't live without her. That is not self-control. That's self-will. And that's fulfilling your personal desires and your interests over what is right. That's what they were guilty of. Exercising self-control, I stand before you and admit, we all know, that can be a tough challenge. It really can. In fact, if you, 
In my opinion, it's, it's the biggest challenge for all of us, keeping ourselves in check, managing ourselves so that we keep ourselves under control. Boy, that's a constant challenge. And that's a tough battle. And Satan tries very hard to get us to exercise our self-will over self-control. You know, Paul said something about this challenge in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he says this as we begin in verse number 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? He says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. That's a key word in our study. They're temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul states this fact in verse number 25 that everyone who competes for the prize, he said, is temperate or he says they, they use self-control in all things. And I, I, I love sports. I keep up with football, with baseball. And you, you've got those pro athletes who, that, uh, who's, whoever's part of the team, they have one goal in mind. And that goal was to win the championship at the end of the season. That is their goal. But they've got to do something in order to obtain the goal, don't they? And so they have to exercise self-control. They have to physical exercise. They've got to monitor what they eat. They've got to hone their skills. And what they're trying to do, they're trying their best to be as good as possible in order to obtain that prize in the end. Whether that be, uh, whether that be a trophy, whether that be a ring on their finger, whether it be a gold medal, whatever it is that they're trying to obtain, they exercise self-control. Paul said that when it comes to our own Christian race, we should be striving for a prize too, but this prize is a far better one than just a ring or a trophy or a gold medal. It's a crown, and it's a crown that will not perish. And in order to obtain it in the end, Paul said, we have to be temperate. We have to use self-control. But he said, you do it in all things. All things in your life exercise self-control. And we have, to uh, we have to show it in everything we do. We have to bring it into submission of those temptations that we have. And again, that could be challenging. We have to sharpen our skills and grow in them. And as Paul also mentioned, as he disciplined his body and brought it under sub uh, submission, we have to do the same in our lives. We have to manage it in a way that we do not let our self-will take control and give in to our desires. 
Now, I want to carry this idea to something else that Paul wrote, and that's found in Ephesians chapter 4 now. We're going to spend a little bit of time here in Ephesians chapter 4, where it says this as we begin reading in verse number 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. The blindness of the heart he's talking about, or hardening, uh, it, it's about hardening or, or being kind of petrified. And you cannot burn petrified wood because it's not affected by the heat or the fire. And so when you think about a heart that is hardened or blinded, it is difficult for that heart to be affected in a positive way. And I believe we could all agree upon that. And the reason for that is because of the lack of self-restraint from that person. And that person will tend to do whatever they want because they won't allow other words of advice or perhaps a, a, a law or a command to affect them in a positive way. They're going to do what they want no matter what. And when Paul mentioned uh, these types of hearts, he went on to explain how they got this way because of what he says about them in verse number 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And so these people had their problem with giving themselves over to sinful behavior, thus exercising a lack of self-control. And this is totally the opposite of learning the ways of Christ as we continue here in verse number 20 because he said, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. You see, to learn Christ, it means you imitate Christ. It's to be like him. It's to look at his characteristics and say, I need to be like that. That is to learn Christ. And so when you learn about Christ, and when you do it with an open and a very humble heart, what you then do is you allow him to mold your life into something that's wonderful. It's something that's great. And it's something that the Lord desires. And that's the beginning of self-control. In fact, Paul talks about that as we continue through this chapter in verse number 22 now. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which, grow, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So exercising self-control is a two-step process. From what we see here, and this is where you apply it. Number one, you have to get rid of the old man. You have to get rid of them. Got to get rid of those old ways, those old habits. 
It means stop following the desires of what you want and when you want. Where we once did this, we now show self-control. And we try our best not to do it again. Where once we might have lost our temper about little insignificant things, we're now going to be slow to wrath and be graceful in our speech, in our reaction. Where once we talked in a certain way, we now show self-control and we bridle our tongue and we talk in a way that brings grace to the hearer. And those are just a couple examples of showing self-control, putting away the old man, putting away those bad habits. So that's step number one. Step number two is to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And so it requires us to, be, to renew our attitude about surrender, looking for the Lord for guidance. It also requires us to renew our perspective because what we do in the here and now, really, it's not about me. And it's not about you either. It's about the Lord. It's about Christ shining through your life and glorifying your Father in everything that you do. That's why we're to be temperate in all things, as Paul said. Looking unto Jesus. And so, putting on the new man, remove old habits, replace them with good, righteous habits. This was God's purpose when he created us. He created us, as he says there, he created us for righteousness. He created us for holiness. Let, us, let that be our goal in life. And I know it is our goal. But sometimes we have to be reminded of that. I have to be reminded of that. To exercise self-control. To, to further show the importance of self-control, it's listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 23. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, Peter gives us the ingredients that we need to have in our lives in order to keep from falling. And he mentions this in verses 5 and 6 in 2 Peter 1. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. And so we have this formula that we use in order to help ourselves out. And to wrap up this section, Paul says this in Romans 6, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness as sin, but quite the opposite, he says, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We're going to make mistakes, I know. We're going to sin. But Paul's point is that we should be showing self-control to the point that we don't let that sin overtake us. And that's the point. Don't go back to that sin. And if we do over and over and over, we're going to find that they're what we're really, we're not quite in control of whatever that is that we keep falling back to in our lives. 
Now we come to the third thing that Paul mentions to Felix and Drusilla, and that's about the judgment that is to come. I'm not going to spend as long in this section here as I have the other two. But here's a fact. Here's the reality. We're all going to face the judgment. We are. And we know this because of what's written in Hebrews 9, verse 27. And Paul also states this true, uh, this true fact in First or 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And in addition to that, Romans 2.16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So, we're going to face the judgment and every single one of us will be there. Every single person of all time will be there. No one will escape it. And when that time comes, there will we will stand there with faults. We will stand there with shortcomings. Perhaps we will stand there with regrets in life. But what's important is what you did about those things. Yes, I'm guilty of the sin I've committed in my life, and the same applies to you too, but you and I were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And when we stand before the judgment, is God going to see that? Is God going to see you as redeemed? Is God going to see you as right? Based upon what you have done in the here and the now. If he doesn't see us as redeemed, if he doesn't see us as, as fixing things or falling back into sin, And the harsh reality of that is that we will not escape the sentence of eternal death in hell. That's hard. But that's the truth. That's what the scriptures teach us. All the more reason for us to be righteous and to exercise self-control in our lives so that we can be ready for the coming judgment. This message scared Felix. It scared him to the point that he put off what he needed to do to prepare for the coming judgment. He told Paul, go away. When it's more convenient, I'll call you back. And we don't know if Felix or Drusilla ever showed their faith in Jesus and obeyed the gospel. We do know that Felix, every once in a while, would call Paul in and they would talk. And I believe that happened for about two years because Paul was held there for two years because of Felix. Who knows? Who knows if, ever, if Felix and Drusilla ever accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ? We just don't know. The scriptures don't reveal that. But he did know what he needed to do in order to be right with God. If you are here, perhaps you're not ready 
you start this new year being ready. Because we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know when that final judgment's going to come. God promises it's going to happen. We just don't know. All the more reason to be ready today. And you could be, you could be ready in two different ways. You could be ready, number one. Or, or you cannot be ready in two different ways if you don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you can. You can obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord wants you to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants you to be saved. And yet to believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for you, how he died upon that cross and bore your sins upon the cross. He died, was buried, but thank the Lord he was resurrected on the third day because we can have new life through him because of his resurrection. You have to believe that, repent of your life, that is a change your direction in life, that you're going to do the will of the Lord and not your own will. And then confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then be baptized for the remission of your sins. And those people did that in Acts chapter 2. The scriptures tell us that, those, that the Lord added those people to his church. We don't add people to the church. The Lord adds people to his church through their obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, you are not ready for the coming judgment. And you need to do that. Perhaps if you, if you have done these things, but maybe, maybe you need to make things right with the Lord. Maybe if the Lord were to come today, that you'd be afraid that you just might not be ready. Well, the Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. And the Lord forgives. And whatever it is in your life, that might not be right, you could take advantage of that at this moment as the Lord offers this invitation to you to make things right so that you will be ready for the judgment that is to come. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.